Welcome to Pilgrimage Stories from Up and Down the Staircase. I'm Matthew Anderson. During this time of limited travel, a lot of us are sticking close to home and missing the long-distance trails we love. Maybe your hiking boots, like mine, are looking pretty forlorn these days. If you, like me, love to walk, there are lots of virtual pilgrimages you can do right where you are. As for me, I've been walking up and down my staircase. While I do, I think about the folks I've met and the paths I've walked. I'd like to share some of those with you. want to check out today's featured trail, which is the St. Cuthbert Way in the Scottish Borders region. So here we are again, going uphill, past the field, I just scared up some kind of a grouse or pheasant, partridge, one of those low-flying hedge-loving birds. And you see before you spread out the town of Melrose and some other places too by the looks of it. The whole valley is full of interconnected towns. Uh, this would be the valley of the, of the river that we're going to be walking across and along, one of the longest rivers in England, in this case in Scotland of course, in the Borders area. Um, and uh, with the, the trail, St. Cuthbert Trail, follows it quite a bit, but right, not right now, we go up the hills. It's early in the morning, thank goodness it's early because the sun is shining and it's already hot. I can't imagine what it'll be like later on, climbing up. That's me, in July 2013, huffing and puffing up the first of the many hills in the St. Cuthbert Way. St. Cuthbert's is a 100 kilometer or so historic trail running from Melrose, Scotland to Lindisfarne, England. Lindisfarne is also known as Holy Island. It's in the extreme northeast tip of England. When I walked St. Cuthbert's, I'd just undergone surgery in Montreal for an aggressive prostate cancer. The surgeon had assured me that he'd gotten both of the tumors that I was suffering from, but I wasn't taking any chances. That summer, I was determined not to go back to Canada until I'd done at least some of the things I'd dreamt of for years. I had just finished trekking a couple of hundred kilometers of the St. Olaf Way in Norway, and after that, Holy Island beckoned. It's hard to imagine a more satisfying pilgrimage destination than Holy Island. It's a tiny, tidal island, which means you can only get on or off the place twice a day when the tide goes out. When that happens, as a pilgrim, if you're lucky, you can do what I did. If you catch the right time of day, after a hundred kilometers of walking, I took off my tired boots and I strode the last few kilometers barefoot in the golden afternoon sun across the ocean floor towards Holy Island. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In this podcast, I'd like to tell you about the beginning of the St. Cuthbert Way. If you think you might be interested in this path, you'll probably walk the way I did from west to east, 
the direction Cuthbert himself took in the 7th century. Like him, you can begin in the Scottish Borders region in the town of Melrose, Scotland. Melrose is the kind of quiet little place where everything shuts down pretty early at night. Most of the people and businesses seem to have links to Edinburgh, only 60 kilometers away. But if you had visited in the 7th century, you'd have looked past the ruins of the 12th century Cistercian Abbey, which now sit in the town, and gone a few miles east of the present-day place to what is now called Old Melrose. That now abandoned site was where an abbey was established that was the offspring of another religious community at Holy Island. It was near Old Melrose that Cuthbert was born and grew up in the wild decades of the 600s. Cuthbert was an Anglo-Saxon teenager when, as legend has it, he decided to become a monk. He was tending sheep near Old Melrose in late summer of the year 651 when a strange sight appeared. There in the night sky, he saw a light descend to earth and then return. He believed that light was an angel, escorting a human soul to heaven. The date was August the 31st, 651, the very same night that Aidan, the saintly founder of Holy Island and a renowned Celtic monk, died. It's likely Cuthbert had already been considering becoming a monk, but that vision sealed it. The story is interesting for several reasons. It shows Cuthbert's piety, but it also shows the links between the ancient Anglo-Saxons and the ancient Celts, whose art, piety, and legends, even down to the designs on their metalwork, were so often so very similar. As an historical figure, Cuthbert was trained by Celts. At the same time, he turned out to be one of those responsible for bringing together the work of the Celtic or the Insular Church and Roman Church. Cuthbert was a transitional figure in a transitional time who lived in a transitional area. Is it okay? So th let me ask you, I'll ask you on, on, on camera. Uh, do you like this hiking business? Do I like it? Yeah. Um, very much, yes. I yeah. do enjoy it, yes. It's, it's something that takes you away from what you normally would have. It's a way out of the um, regular mundane part of life. And and how do you like doing the sort of technical support stuff? Is that it's okay? fun. Yes, yeah. it is good, good and, fun. It's and very you, entertaining. And, and and do you always meet people like you met me and take care of other people? Because you're very good at it. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that it seems I do. <laughs> that bit of audio you just heard is me talking to Claire a spry, friendly woman whom I met kind of by accident on the St. Cuthbert Trail. It's a bit of the audio tape from my St. Cuthbert walk that survived when my hard drive fell apart later that summer. Anyway, about Claire, together with her husband Chris, she wound up including me in their walk to Cuthbert. Here's what I wrote in my journal in 2013 about how I met these two. The path so far has been one long riverbank meander along the River Tweed. Common sandpipers are calling and flitting through the low branches 
a lone gray heron loosing itself awkwardly from its perch as I passed. I feel like I'm stuck, walking an endless series of wooden steps with wire mesh tread forever up and down and up and down over eroding dirt banks and muddy tributary creeks and cuts along the tweed. Finally, the path turns right. It climbs steeply uphill through tall grass and flowers mixed with Queen Anne's lace, buzzing, alive with insects. It's so unusually hot and humid for Scotland that right now I'm a little dizzy. Sweating and out of breath, I follow the way markings into the village of St. Boswell's. At first, I'm relieved. At least I think I can get some water here. But maybe because I'm Canadian and not familiar with the Scottish Borders region, I'm surprised at the village. There are no stores open. All of the doors are shuttered against the day. There's a, a Scottish flag on a pole in the middle of a field of overgrown weeds. My feet immediately dislike the sidewalk, or what they call the pavement, in the UK. My feet yearn for a return to the shade and the cushion of the forest floor by the river, but I know this may be my one chance to replenish water. For a while, I sat on a low stone fence outside the village church. A tall, slim man with a pack approaches from behind me. He must have been behind me on the Tweed water paths. He's walking fast. I say hello. He seems reluctant to break stride, but he does. He introduces himself as Chris. In two days, he's only the second other pilgrim I've seen. We talk for a moment, and for a few blocks I join him, but I can't match the speed of his long legs. We come to a junction where the path turns left and back out of the village. There's an historic municipal water pump, an old crank contraption with a Bible verse carved in stone on its side, saying, Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water I gave him shall never thirst. Alleluia, I respond, reading it aloud. I give the handle a tentative pump, and then, when that doesn't work, I give it a firmer go. Nothing. The well is dry. I'm not quite sure what that says about the meaning of the verse, but my mouth is parched, and I'm disappointed in far more than a spiritual way. At that moment, there's a shout from across the street. A young woman, first person we've seen in the village, is waving at us. Are you thirsty? She calls. We gratefully accept the two glasses of water she offers, and she takes my water jug into the house to replenish it. Before Chris speeds off, he tells me that his wife meets him at points along the trail, and perhaps we can all have tea together sometime, and if I'm still interested in interviewing him, we can do it then. Sure, I say. He's brushed me off, I think. I imagine it's the last I'll ever see him. Hours pass. After the manner of long-distance walking, all thoughts of St. Boswell's, the woman who gave us water, Chris, all thoughts of everything, in fact, kind of fade and elide into the rhythm of my steps and the vague pains where sensations like blisters are growing. I traverse golden forests of beech and oak, and I rejoin the water tweed, still there, 
waiting like an old friend who has decided after a lovely morning to take the afternoon off as well. Eventually, the path turns up a country lane. It runs uphill along an ancient stone fence bordered by purple strife and daisies. At the top of the gravelway, I see two figures outlined against the sky, the first human beings I've seen in several hours. A woman is talking to a man, gesturing. He shakes his head, walks out of my sight to the right. I, I wonder if it's a dispute of some sort. She remains standing at the head of the path, hands on her hips. What happens next is like something out of a dream. She looks at me as I reach the top of the rise. Are you Matthew? I'm startled to hear my own name in this foreign country so far from home. Yes. Oh, good, the woman says. She introduces herself as Claire. I have tea for you, she tells me. Follow me. On a patch of grass between two roads, she has set out two blankets. There's a thermos bottle and a padded lunch bag. Two cups are also set out. I, uh settle myself on the blanket, not quite believing it, feeling like I'm in a dream while this lovely stranger pours me tea. She informs me that her husband told her to expect me, but that I'd taken somewhat longer than they'd thought. The tea is delicious, the sun is warm, there's a light breeze. After a while, I realize that the grass looks cool and inviting and would feel so good on my feet. Would you mind if I took my boots and my socks off, I ask? Not at all, she answers, smiling. Would you like a scone? I have some of those, too. Jam? In the end, Chris and I walked the final half of the St. Cuthbert Way together, while Claire, who's had a hip problem since childhood, met us at regular points along the path. Near the end of our walk, I finally pinned Chris down for an interview. Here's some of what he told me about why he and Claire so often take to the trails. I'm Chris, Chris, Chris Myers. Um, I'm from, well, we're living in Newcastle, just outside Newcastle. But can you tell, tell me where we are right now, if you don't mind? We're actually in, we're in Wooler. We're just off the main street of Wooler, just down a little courtyard off the main street. And there's this fantastic garden hidden behind the wall, if you can see that. There's a, there are chickens in a garden and a waterfall. And there's a couple of um, tortoises roaming around as well. Oh really? Yeah. Ah, it's perfect. Um, the you... lady was telling me this morning that they recovered a hedgehog from the main street. They found a little baby hedgehog was starving. Yeah. So they've, they've brought that in and that's, that's down in there. Like a live hedgehog? Yeah, and they're, it's recuperating. So it's a very interesting place. And you and I, Matt, I know that you're a good walker because <laughs> I've walked beside you and watched you slow yourself down to keep to, to let me walk beside no, really, you. No. Um, you've done a lot of walking, haven't you? Tell me about that. Well, I, my mother was um, a great walker. Um, I'm my father too a little bit, but probably more on my mother's side. So when we were little, we used to get taken to the Lake District and do little walks and stuff like that. Um, so I think probably my love of walking comes from that. I think walking gives you time to reflect and I felt that, um, I guess we're talking about it was a spiritual thing for me to do that and the meditation, I kind of think walking is a form of meditation. Um, Tell me about that, how walking is a form of meditation. It sounds good to me, I just want to know how, how, that, how that works for you. I think your mind sort of 
When you meditate, your mind can be full of all kinds of thoughts and ideas. And the idea is that you just let these come and go, and you know you don't you don't hold on to them. You just kind of see what comes up. And eventually, when you're meditating, there's a thinning out process, and eventually you get to kind of um, a stillness, and you can just hear the sounds, and you get a sense of peace. I think out of that. And in a way, I think walking is, for me, is it's a bit like that. Let me ask you a question about walking because I, I find that I'm I think I'm going to think about something when I walk, and quite often it actually becomes fairly mindless for a long period of time. Like it's just sort of step, 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 and then sometimes a, a thought will come in for me. But I don't know if I'm alone like that or if other people. Are, well, I like think that's the way meditation is as well. You see, that you can be. Um, one of my favourite expressions I say is life is non-linear so you will get a series of thoughts and then you'll have nothing and then suddenly something will jump up and so I don't know whether that's a spiritual experience or not but it's kind of it's things that happen is it, it spiritual for you? I think it is yeah and, yeah and I think being out in the fantastic environment that we've been in the last few days helps all that to be honest you know you generally prefer to walk alone I think don't you? I think that's true, yeah, because um, I'm kind of quite happy to be on my own with my thoughts, but of course I've got Claire not too far away with the tea and stuff. So, so that kind of... I mean, it's great going for walks with Claire, but she kind of walks as far as me because she's got problems with the hips and stuff. Um, so we do do walks together, and that's great. I mean, we love to be together, but it kind of... I also um, enjoy spending a bit of time on my own. And Claire help, helping others, is that... Is that a part of that yeah, faith thing too? Yeah, I mean, it's been a real... Um, I put one of the things in my diary, but this is a real pilgrim's progress. You know, because people have come from all different walks of life and have shared their stories and helped each other and us. And I kind of like to think that Cuthbert would have been a bit like that as well. People would have been like that with him. You know, so. Yeah, I think so too. There's so much I'd like to tell you about the St. Cuthbert Way that I'm going to say more about the walk itself in another podcast. If you're interested in finding out more, maybe to walk it yourself, you can start with the St. Cuthbert Way's official website at www.stcuthbertsway.info. St. Cuthbert's Way, by the way, is spelled S-T-C-U-T-H-B-E-R-T-S-W-A-Y, all one word. The St. Cuthbert's Way treads a fascinating landscape full of Roman roads and early Iron Age fortifications, Bronze Age tombs, ancient stone fences, and it's thick with the history of Normans, Scots, English, Celts, and Norse peoples. There are great Scottish ales, wonderful full English breakfasts, if you plan ahead for them. Like so many other long-distance walks, St. Cuthbert's is definitely not the Camino in Spain. Whether on the Scottish or the English side, you have to book ahead for accommodations and plan carefully, in advance, unlike me, for food and water. If you're really lucky, however, maybe you too will meet a pair of angels on the path like I met Chris and Claire. Tune in again to the podcast for more on Holy Island, Cuthbert's Shrine, and the end of the pilgrimage. Thanks to James Anderson for his virtual so harmonica on this podcast, and to Gabriel Morehouse Anderson for helping me out on guitar. I'm Matthew Anderson, the, for now, Staircase Pilgrim. See you next podcast. To take us out today, I'll give the last word to Claire.
I think it's chance though, it, because we've been out on walks on many an occasion where we just actually haven't met anyone else, or I haven't met anyone else at all. I've sat in the middle of nowhere and no one else has turned up at all, just Chris. Yeah. So, yeah. But it was really, I mean, you're, you seem quite open to the possibility of taking care of other people like me. That, that doesn't bother you? <laughs> not at all, no, because not everyone comes with the everything that they need. And I've got the car, I've got the extra stuff, why not help them? Makes a difference for people. And does it bother you that I called you St. Clair? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite funny. <laughs> it does worry me that the actual St. Clair is dead. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't. I think she lived a good long life, but I'm not sure. I no, don't know. she was quite young. When oh, was she? Oh no. Oh no. Okay. Well, you're the new Sinclair. You're the different Sinclair. <laughs> a bit different. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. But thank you. Yeah, it's very pleasurable to do this.